Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low carbon, high energy conversation with your host, Joe Batir. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS. I'm your host, Joe Batir. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. Now, this week, we are doing something a little bit different. I wanted to introduce myself to everybody. So I am actually going to have my lovely wife, Ali Batir, interview me. Now, it'll sound very similar to the other podcasts, but it, um, it'll be me being interviewed. So, Allie, take it away. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Um, I guess we'll just dive right in, shall we? So, Joe Batir, who are you? What's your background and what do you do now? That's a great question, Allie. Well, thank you. So, my name is Joe Batir. I grew up outside of Chicago, Illinois, and... I guess from a young age, I've always been surrounded by natural resources. I, I toured a, a quarry in fourth grade. I grew up across the, across the river from a nuclear power plant, from the ExxonMobil refinery outside of, it was the Joliet refinery, but not in Joliet, Illinois. Don't know why they called it that. But so I've always kind of known about energy and always loved being outside. So I, I went to undergrad knowing that I wanted to, to be outside. And the way to do that I saw as geology. And I always had this appreciation for energy because of my, because of all this background being around all of these, these different energy sources. And Originally going into school, I thought I was going to to go through, get a PhD, go into academia, and and teach the next students all about this great world we've got. So did my undergrad at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. While I was there, I I really kind of dove all in in the out of doors. I did a lot of rock climbing, a lot of a lot of hiking, a lot of camping, and just really loved the outside and and that built in this desire for for me to to really take care of the earth as well and and be a good steward of these God-given resources we have. So, while I was there, I I did a lot of environmental volunteering, you could say, um, things like picking up trash and restoring native Illinois prairie land and just other, other aspects to, to what people would call environmentalism. 
through that process, I, I was awarded a Udall scholarship and eventually, eventually graduated, went to Iceland for my master's degree. That was specifically to study renewable energy science. Really, it was a it was a geophysics degree that was focused on geothermal energy. So I went there, did lots of traveling, really loved and enjoyed the the country, really again dove all in into immersing myself in nature while also learning about the energy that the earth provides for us and also how to how to utilize and how to harness that energy came back from Iceland, went to Southern Methodist University here in Dallas, Texas for my PhD and and continued to study thermal energy, really doing doing geothermal energy resource characterization and thermal numerical modeling. That work was focused up in Alaska for my PhD, but I also studied Idaho Nevada, California, Illinois, and Michigan, and most recently have been studying Texas, both East Texas into, into Northwest Louisiana and down into South Texas and the Gulf Coast. While here, I also did internships in the Permian Basin with Whiting Petroleum and offshore West Africa with Cosmos Energy. And I think that's uh, that's a good stepping off point of of really thinking about who am I, the because I'm on the, the the oil and gas global network here with my new podcast Low Carbon Solutions, and I think this dichotomy of who I am of being this this person who loves nature, but then also also appreciates and values life and and modern life and energy the energy we need for modern life those two combine really all of this background together into what i am today somebody who is is for energy and am trying to decarbonize energy as much as possible so how did you end up in Iceland? Was that someplace you always wanted to go? Was there a special program? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's not every day you find somebody who did a master's degree in Iceland. So I went to Iceland on a, on a Fulbright scholarship. I, during, during undergrad, I had this I had this class that was really geared towards teaching you how to go to how to how to apply for and be awarded major scholarships things like the Udall the Fulbright the Rhodes the Mitchell and so when the week when we had somebody talking about the Fulbright what I realized was that that being awarded a Fulbright really is a game of numbers and and as I said I I was enjoying traveling I love going out and seeing new places and thinking about the Fulbright. The Fulbright is a major scholarship where you get paid 
to to go to a new place and study. It's basically getting paid to do a study abroad program. And what they're looking for in the Fulbright is they want you to know exactly what you want to go study and you need to tell them the exact the best location in the world to go do that study. And and for for Iceland it it's pretty obvious you go there to study geothermal energy and Iceland is the only place is the best place to go study. And it turns out Iceland, they have about, about six or seven Fulbrights a year and only about 10 to 11 applicants. So you've really got like a two thirds chance to get a Fulbright if you, if you apply there and if you're applying for something useful. So, for me, geothermal energy ended up being that gateway into a free master's program and a master's program in a wonderful, beautiful country that is Iceland. But it, it also was a it was an eye-opening experience really into geothermal energy. So why, why geothermal? What caused you to want to specialize in that specifically? Geothermal energy to me is is probably the the closest thing we have to to that proverbial silver bullet. It it's a baseload energy. It is which means it can be firm. It can it can give us solid energy, but it can also be flexible where we can ramp it up and down with demand. And and in those areas where you have more production above the above the current demand, you can utilize it to make all of those green energy products like green hydrogen, green steel, green ammonia. And and in that way, geothermal is almost the foundation. To me, it is the foundation of the green energy future and of the low carbon future. So it it really is one of those one of those things that if we if we can figure it out and I guess taking a step back a lot of people talk about cold fusion as well this is a it's a it's a type of nuclear power but cold fusion is is almost the things of science fiction. We are we are we have seen experiments where cold fusion works but it is still it still costs more energy than than it actually produces and it it's probably going to be that way for for a while which is why i say it's still kind of in the science fiction realm whereas geothermal it is here it is now we're utilizing it all around the world and and it seems like every day you hear of a new geothermal project or a new application for that geothermal energy, either the heat or the electricity, or even producing cooling from geothermal. And as we find more use cases and ways to utilize the heat we're pulling from the ground, and as we find more technologies and ways to drill deeper and, and actually produce that heat, then we go from something that was 
back when it first started in, in the early 1900s out in Italy, we were just around volcanoes. Now we're, we're getting to the point where we may be able to drill anywhere and produce geothermal. So that to me is, is kind of that, that firm foundation that we need for the low carbon future that we keep talking about. Now, you started down this path to your PhD, and you wanted to specifically be in academia, but obviously you're not in academia now. So what happened between originally getting into this industry or into the path to your PhD and now in the industry? That's a good question. And I, I realized I did not I did not actually say where I was now. So I am Right now, I am the senior geothermal geoscientist with PetroLearn. We are a, the way I explain it is that we are a, a technology service provider who we specialize in geothermal energy, geomechanics for, for complicated well bores, and in carbon sequestration. That is, that is not a, an academic position, although we do have research and development and and professional training courses. Now, as you point out, I originally was thinking I would go into academia. And I guess in some respects, I I feel like we all, anybody who, who has gone through to get a PhD, most of them have have been in the academic higher education realm for almost 10 years. I started started my undergrad in 2005 and until and I was a an academic researcher at SMU after graduating up until 2020. So I I kind of did a full career in higher education. If you if that's the way I like to think about it, most of that was a student, but there was also significant amounts of research that I did. The thing that they kind of changed me, changed my my viewpoint is that through all of that time, there there is a a a slow build on what what I was doing into actionable steps and, and clear, um, and clear contributions to society. So while I did all of this research and I found great areas to, to put in geothermal power plants and I came up with these great ideas and saw all of these areas that, that need geothermal energy, it, nobody was was going and putting in those power plants. So that's where that that shift was where now I'm with Petrolearn because now we're we're out there doing these commercial projects trying to we are we are taking the information that that I've I've discovered in academia and we are we are converting those to electrons on the grid. And I think that that's the real key is that I want to be producing something and, and helping society. That is why I've, I've 
taking a step back from academia because that was very high level research, fundamental ideas. And I want to start applying that to, to actually produce a good that can go to, go to people that, that may not be directly in geothermal research. Right, right, right. And that kind of leads me to my next question. You have said often at home that you really want to change the world. So what, what do you mean by that? What are you really looking to do? Yes, <laughs> change the world. That is, and I guess that, that is why I, why I have, why I left the academic realm is to, is to change the world. And I think what I mean by that is it's as small as, as getting one project and, and one green one green energy project going that is electrons on the grid that is a clear contribution to to the the future of of us as a society and as of us as a planet but i also like i want to see i want to see geothermal be a household name i want to see geothermal be a primary power source right now when we look at the the energy use in in the u.s the majority of that is fossil fuels and it's just the tiniest tiniest little sliver about about five to ten percent total is all renewables whereas natural gas is something like 30 percent Oil is something like 30%. Coal is something like 30%. I'd like to switch one of those out and make geothermal 30% or even 50%. And I think that would have a significant impact on, on the world that we know it. And I also want to see that not only be a U.S. thing, but also a worldwide thing. So areas that are, that are energy poor having even a small geothermal power plant, small modular ones that we talk about for for being on top of a, a single oil and gas well, say 100 kilowatts, that could have a significant impact for an area that currently has either diesel generation or even only solar panels that that have very intermittent power and are kind of at the mercy of the sun. So that's what I mean when... That's what I mean when I say I want to change the world. So what are you working on right now? So right now, what what we are working on at PetroLearn is we, we've got a, a few different things. The main thing that I'm working on is, is oil and gas to geothermal well conversion. Through my studies at SMU in East Texas and South Texas and Idaho, Nevada, all these other studies, there are, there are areas in the U S that have, that are producing hot water. These are sedimentary basins that are traditionally thought of as oil and gas reservoirs and strictly oil and gas producing areas. 
But as we get into these unconventionals, as we get into deeper formations, we, we are finding hot pressurized water. That water has that thermal energy in it, but it's just kind of being thrown out. So really what I've been talking about for the past five years is using this thermal energy in some way. And now with PetroLearn, we are, we're working on some of the basic concepts on how we actually do that. We are finding ways to do this more efficiently in terms of the screening process. We've built a tool called Convert Deck, which we use to, to screen wells to find the best candidates and therefore the, the most profitable candidates for well conversion. And we're also running through different ideas, different case studies, and putting together all the pieces to figure out how you could make oil and oil and gas well conversion to geothermal profitable really wherever you're at because to i guess take a step back places like illinois and michigan they are they're from my from my view those are colder basins so you probably can't produce electricity in those basins utilizing today's technology as we get technology advances you might be able to produce electricity but today you can't. But that doesn't mean that they're not producing thermal energy. It's just a lower, it's a lower quality thermal energy. So that's an example of an area where we are thinking about how would you utilize that thermal energy? What is what are the use cases in in that location? And with that lower power source, how could you utilize those in a profitable way, which then also extends your, your oil and gas well life. And it also decarbonizes, um, whatever that end use case is, because now you're using thermal energy from the earth, as opposed to some other thermal energy, such as burning natural gas. Does that answer your question? It did. (laughs) Okay, so now it's time for my rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. What is the most important book you've ever read? Mm. So the most important book is is the Bible. That one is top of the list. But taking the Bible, since it's so much higher than everything else, uh, I guess I'll tell you my most recent book that I've read. My most recent book was Pedal Your Own Canoe by... by uh, I was just going to say Ron Swanson, but that's yeah, not his real by name. By Ron Swanson. <laughs> um, it was by Nick Offerman. And it was just a really good book. Not It was a good book because it was very much a... I saw it as... I guess the lesson I got from it is pursue your passions in a way that they bring others joy. And really that is what I'm trying to do. I'm pursuing my passion of the outdoors, of, of learning about the earth, of producing a, a tangible product that is energy. 
and I'm doing this for the purpose of of bettering society, of giving people who don't have energy or don't have clean, cheap energy, I'm giving them that as a product and, and hopefully making people happy by doing so. When will we be net zero? Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. I say that because I wrote it and I ask everybody <laughs> that. <laughs> I think I'm going to put down 2100. Oh, you're giving me an exact year? An exact year. Some people give some interesting answers like, I don't think we ever will be, or it's going to take two generations, or it it's going to be a while, or... So you want to stick with 2100, not 2101, but 2100 even. 2100 even. And I think that that is... Because of how long it's going to take for us to figure it out and and just generally how long it takes for things to shift i think that is to me that will will be the the time frame it's going to take another 20 to 30 years before we even realize like what the best technologies are and how to utilize them and then probably 50 years to really shift everything over from the present day to, to the future. This says that you had to ask me a question. Yes. Now it's, now it's time for the guest to ask the host a question. Right. Which is problematic, but we'll continue. <laughs> so, so being not in the energy industry. Right. And this being a low carbon solutions podcast, I'm curious from your perspective, what would be the most, the most interesting, the, the thing you would want to hear about when I'm talking about low carbon to, to my guests? Well, I think for someone like me who is one, not in the industry and is to, uh, a human, but three apparent, I think that it is very, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by, um, I guess the stories that are chosen to put, be put on the news regarding climate change. Obviously we know climate change is real. That's not the question, but I think it is, it's hard to find news stories where they talk about what people like you and, and the people they you have interviewed so far are doing about it. And I, I think that it's been encouraging for me just to hear and know that like this is one, a problem, but it's a problem that there are multiple people across multiple different industries and fields and specialities that are trying to solve the problem. And so I think that's really important for people to hear and to know is that, hey, like this isn't just a doom and gloom situation. Like it's important to talk about the doom and gloom to raise awareness for the problem but there are people who are not only trying to solve the problem but they're trying to solve it in very creative ways and in ways that we were not able to um approach but we weren't able to approach this problem through these ways in years past but now because of the technology and where we've come from and where we are going um we do have a lot more options at our disposal 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because it, with technology today and things like the cloud and supercomputers, we can really start solving these big questions that before were, were, were not understood. And when we talk about things like intermittent power sources and the duck curve, which if you don't know the duck curve, look it up. It, with intermittent power sources, we do need to do load balancing and really spread out that energy resource so we can use it overall over the course of the day. And those are things that, that we really couldn't do a good job of before. Whereas now we have the computing power to do it and we have the models and, and every day we're getting new technology to, to solve these questions. We're getting more efficient, more efficient solar panels, more efficient insulation for houses. And some of that stuff may not be the, the, uh, it may not be newsworthy for mainstream news for your for your five o'clock news but that is how we're changing what what energy and energy use looks like in the future right and i think in the words of phil visher bad news is good data and so the more that we are learning about this stuff and the more that we're seeing how the climate how climate change and global warming is affecting our day-to-day we are collecting more data and then we're able to make better choices and create better plans of action because of that data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think on, on the point of the doom and gloom news, I think it is, as you point out, it is important to discuss that news and very important to discuss it from the data perspective, because it, to me, the, the idea of data, data is, data is the, is the hard facts how you interpret that data that is where the doom and gloom comes in and i don't think we need to be so we don't need to be so negative about it we need to accept what the data is saying and then we need to go and do something about it and i think that's the that's the narrative right now that is that really is what i'm what i'm trying to change with this podcast is I'm, I'm trying to open up and, and as you point out, talk about the solutions that are being made and the people, people implementing these solutions. So thank you for, for being on the show and for interviewing me. Hey everybody, if you If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star rating. Please follow. If you want more stories from the energy industry, you can hear more of those by connecting with OGGN on LinkedIn or at OGGN.com. And if you also are... If you are in the Houston area, OGGN has their monthly happy hour. This is actually, the show is getting launched at the August 26th happy hour, which will be happening just a few days from now. But we have have those happy hours every month. Go check it out on OGGN.com. With that, 
stay low carbon, but high energy. Still working on that sign off, guys. All right. Thanks. Bye. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.